this morning and uh, take out our Bibles and turn to the book, the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And uh, just want to continue some thoughts from what we looked at last Sunday morning. Um, we looked at last Sunday morning, Common Snares. And again, we looked at Common Snares. And uh, we're going to continue with some thoughts here this morning along that lines. But this this morning, we're con- last week we were talking about the common snares uh, set before us a lot of times by people or by the world. But I'm going to consider some common snares here set by Satan himself. And so we're going to consider, first of all, a passage of scriptures that deals with a snare that I believe David fell trapped to. Uh, and uh, again, we'll begin here uh, with First Chronicles chapter 21. We'll look at the first eight Verses of the chapter certainly would encourage you to read through the whole chapter sometime uh, to see what happened with David and uh, what happened with this snare that he fell into. But it says in verse number one, it says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and the rulers of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba, even on Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Joab answered, the more make his people a hundred times so many more as they are, they be. But my Lord, the king, are they not all the Lord's servants? Why doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's uh, word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave that sum of the number of the people unto David, and all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and hundred thousand that drew the sword. And Judah was four hundred, threescore, and ten thousand that drew the sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. God was displeased with the thing, therefore he smote Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I've done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away with the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. I want to consider here this morning common snares that Satan sets. Let's go ahead and pray as we consider this thought. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for your word this morning. We thank you for those who have come to hear it and to learn from it. I pray, Lord, that we'd be open to uh, recognizing the snares of Satan that uh, are set, I believe, many times in, in different places before us. Certainly, again, I believe even on a daily basis. Again, as we consider these common snares, I pray we won't look at them as things that, oh, well, we just fall into, but rather things that we need to avoid. Again, bless this time as we meet here again today. We pray this in Jesus' name and for our sake. Amen. I said that I believe that David fell into one of the snares of Satan here. And I believe, again, it is a snare that he fell into. And someone says, well, why do you believe it was a snare set by Satan? Well, we look at verse number one. It says that Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now, I'm not going to say that, the, that Satan made David do it. You know, people will often say, you know, the devil made me do it. You know, even in killings and murders, sometimes they'll, they'll plead insanity or maybe they'll even say, you know, Satan or a demon or whatever it might made me do it. Well, 
I'll just say this. The devil can't make you do it. Demons can't make you do it. People can't make you do anything, but you make your own decisions. And certainly David made his own decision here. We see that later on in the text as he confesses as a sin. He committed against God and done so grievously. Uh, he numbered the people because Satan provoked him. That's exactly what it says here in the text. And Satan, I'm skipping first few verses, provoked David. Part of the verse. I'm not skipping it again because I, I want to, but I just want you to see Satan provoked David. The word provoke means to excite. It means to prod. It means to stir up. It means to entice. Again, provoke. Sometimes you, someone might say, well, someone provoked me to be angry. Well, yeah, they probably were involved with in a sense, an accomplice to the sin you were involved with, but they didn't do it, but they were there to help you to do it. And so with the snares of Satan, the snares of Satan, again, are, are out there that can cause us to, to get tripped up or to, to be even tied down or to fall into sin. The snare of Satan was set here to provoke David, to number Israel, and and again, as Satan, again, enticed him, just maybe like, again, you see back in the garden there, we enticed, again, uh, Eve there, he enticed David or provoked David to number Israel. So David went ahead and, and he numbered Israel. And Joab told him in verse number three, this is not a good thing. This is actually a trespass. This is something you shouldn't do. This is, again, trespassing the commandment of God. Nevertheless, he did it. And and Joab went ahead and he started to number the people. It mentions there in verse number five, he came up with uh, 1.1 million people there out of Judah. It mentions there 1,000, 1,000 and 100,000 uh, that drew the sword. And, he, and it mentions there in, oh, sorry, in all Israel. And then it says in Judah, there were 400,000, uh, three score and, uh, and thousand men. So there's 470,000 men there. And then it goes, but Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them for the king's word was abominable to Joab. Just wanted to say this, Joab really didn't execute completely the orders he was given. But it gives you a great number of people that were numbered there. And uh, this was not something that David was supposed to do. David knew that this was wrong. He knew it was against the will of God and the way of God, but yet he did it. And someone says, Why did, how did he do it? Because Satan snared him. Satan ensnared him. Satan didn't cause him to do it, but Satan enticed him to do it. Satan, again, came along and, and stirred him, in a sense, to do it. Just check out how many guys you have. See how big your armies are. And again, we see again this, this idea of being snared by the devil. David was snared by the devil. And someone says, well, snaring of the devil, that only happens with the lost people. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, the lost, they are ensnared of the devil. And uh, uh, we know that to be true. I mean, if you, if you know your Bible, you know that, again, the lost are indeed uh, in a snare set by Satan. They are snared temporarily at least, uh, maybe long term, uh, by the devil. And so, again, we find here in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, boy, I think I got my verses all mixed up. Let me just see here. I got it. Let's be here. I know this is here. Sorry about this. 
First Timothy chapter three. That's right. First Timothy chapter three. Sorry, I said to you, Second Timothy. You need to be in First Timothy. And uh, we find again the qualifications of the pastor or the bishop. And so I just want to read through this. But as we get to verse number seven, you'll see this this idea of the snare of the devil. Verse number one. It says, "This is true. Seeing if a man desire the office of a bishop." He desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, nor striker, nor greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up in pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Over he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Bible mentions here someone, again, maybe desiring to be in the office of a pastor. And it mentions here him not being a novice, verse number six. And uh, lest he be lifted up in pride. And it mentions there the last part of verse number seven, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So we see in 1 Timothy chapter three, verse number seven, people can fall snare to the devil. Christians can fall snare to the devil. And again, it mentions here in verse number seven, I think it again mentions in verse number seven, uh, the need not to be a novice lest, you fall into the snare of the devil. Now, this is a snare, I believe, of pride. It mentions there, not a novice being lifted up in pride, fall into the condemnation of the devil. And again, that's certainly a common snare, that any Christian can fall into the snare of pride. But it does say this, and this is important to notice it, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Christians can fall into the snare of the devil into reproach. The word reproach means to be someone in disgrace or blame or to play in a place of dishonor. So when we fall into the snare of the devil, we fall into a place of reproach or can fall into a place of reproach or disgrace or a place of discredit or dishonor. So we don't want to fall into the snare of the devil. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and again, verse number 26, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 26. I mentioned already that the lost are ensnared by the devil. They need to be set free from the devil. In verse 25 of 2 Timothy 25, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preventure will give them repentance, to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And so it mentions those that need to be let free from the devil. They are caught, they are snared of the devil. And uh, it's through uh, instructing them and them coming to a place of repentance that they can be delivered from the devil. The lost can be ensnared of the devil. The saved can be ensnared of the devil. And can be snared by Satan. Satan sets traps or snares for them. As I mentioned last week, the, the word snare, Strong's 
Concordance 3907 mentions the word snare there. It defines it as being a trap, simply a trap. Now, again, someone says, you know, sometimes those definitions, you find the Strong's don't seem to be quite on, and I, I would say that's true, but let's turn to Psalm 119 and verse number 110. We looked at this verse last week, but I want to come here again, as again, I believe it's a, a good verse to, for us to come back to, Psalm 119, verse number 110. Psalm 119, verse 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. The, the wicked. And again, we found again, as we looked at other verses in Psalm 100 and Psalm 119 and other places that, again, we find this idea of a snare and a, and a trap that's laid. The wicked have laid a snare for me. And so who, who can lay a snare? Wicked men? And certainly a wicked devil or a wicked Satan. Again, we looked at other verses there in Psalm 69, verse number two. It says their, their table became a snare and it became a trap. Uh, again, you know, things can become a snare and they can become a trap. And uh, in varying degrees, traps are laid down, sometimes hidden, sometimes laid not to be seen or, or realized. But uh, again, again, the traps, again, of Satan are, are traps, I believe, that we as believers know clearly about. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. As we turn back to this text here in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we find that David fell trapped to a, a snare that Satan had set for him. And, and again, as, as we look at this trap that he set for, for uh, again, David, it's a trap, I believe, that he sets for each one of us. And we talked about this same trap there last week. And it's a common trap. It's once uh, set by the wicked. It's also set, again, by Satan. It's a trap of pride. And uh, this is what was laid for him. It says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab, to the rulers, Go number the Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And so he, he did this. He did this against the commandment of God. He did this in defiance to God. And I just want to say this about snares and traps. Sometimes we can know the trap, we can see the trap, and still we fall into a trap. Still we, uh, again, uh, do what the, do, do bad in, in a sense in, in disobeying God and in in, in just laying and, and following the trap. And this is what David did. He knew this was the wrong thing to do, yet he did it. And even Joab, he, he tried. And that's sometimes what happens with traps. Some people will say, hey, this is a trap. Maybe they'll consul you and come along and say, hey, this is a trap, but yet we'll still do it. Verse 3, Joab, he comes along and says, the Lord make his people a hundred times so many. They're all the Lord's servants. Why are you going to trespass like this? Nevertheless, it says, verse number 4, the king's word prevailed against Joab, wherefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Just want to say this about Satan's traps. You know, sometimes Satan's traps that we, we know they're there, we see they're there, and then we still do them. And uh, in, in this case of David, he just kept going with this trap that was set by Satan. Number the people. And I don't know if he knew it would be so bad numbering the people, but he certainly numbered the people. 
And Joab assisted him in this numbering of the people. And I just want to say that sometimes what Satan snares that he sends it, it sometimes leads to others having to help you with the snare that you're entrapped in. But at the same time, you see there in verse number six, it says, but Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, but the king's word was abominable to Joab. He didn't like at all what the king wanted him to do. And it goes on, it says, and God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. And Israel said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I've done this thing. But now, I beseech or beg you, do away with the iniquity of the servant, for I have done very foolishly. I want to just read on here a little bit. Again, now, again, I encourage you to read through the whole chapter, but it says, And the Lord spake to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, say, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose one of them that I may do unto them. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee either three years of famine, or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thy enemies overtake thee, or else three days of, of sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coasts of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for uh, very greatly are his mercies, but let it not fall into the hand of man. So the is- Israel said, so the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel seventy thousand, and God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. As he was destroyed, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said unto the angel, Lord, that destroyed, it is enough. Stay now thy hand. I'm not going to read through any more of that, but I'm just saying uh, the sin he was involved in, the, the trap he fell into, certainly was very serious. You know, his sin led to the death of 70,000 people. That's a major thing when it comes to a trap. But I'm just saying this. When it comes to a trap, sometimes you fall in a trap and we say, well, I fell in the trap and it only, only hurts me, but sometimes that trap can hurt other people. And here we see again, God's great mercy, he mentions in verse number 13, God's great mercy, because if you look back in the test, he had three choices and uh, three months of famine. It mentions there verse number 12. And it mentions there, again, enemies there that could destroy them for a period there. It says to, to be destroyed of the foes for three months. That certainly would be very fun or very good. And then it mentions again, and then three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying. So it mentions there again, that's this third thing happening. And again, this is the one that the Lord chose for him. It was three days. It mentions of the sword of the Lord against him with pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying, and the angel of the Lord. So pestilence and the angel of the Lord destroying. And this is the one he ended up getting but he didn't get the second part of it. Because it says there in verse number 13, as he was destroying, the Lord beheld and he repented the evil and said to the angel, Lord, it's enough. It's enough. You know, the snare of disobedience that David 
fell into was a very serious one. Sometimes we think of uh, of David's numbering the people, and I don't know what you think about it. Maybe you don't even know about it or hadn't heard about it, but just think of just numbering the people, just adding up, you know, the people of land. Someone says, that's not a big deal. Just adding up the people of land and, and uh, doing this sort of thing. And and we think about it and we say, well, that's not a big deal. Just numbering people. I mean, what's wrong with that? A king numbering people. It's not a big deal, king numbering people. It was a big deal to God for him to number the people. It was a huge trap that Satan had set for David. It was a trap of pride. How many people do you have? Who are under your army? Who are living under you now, so to speak, and under your reign? I mean, David started with the mere 400 men that followed after him, if you go back there historically. And now he has... And this isn't a total number, but he has 1.57 million soldiers in Israel and Judah that can bear the sword before him. It's a huge trap he fell into. And when he fell trapped to it, he knew he had sinned greatly. And he had done very foolishly. It mentions there in verse number 8. I just want to say this about traps. When you see again a trap and you fall into a trap, you need to repent in the trap. You know, how do people get out of the trap? Uh, again, the, how they get out of the snare of Satan, you can go back to 1 Timothy and you find out they, they come out of the snare of the devil through repentance. They change their mind about what they're doing and they do something different. And so I want to just mention, again, I'll try to do this as quickly as I can here, but the three most common, I believe, most common traps that Christians fell into. Let me just say pride covers all these, okay? Pride is the reason why we sin in the first place, but pride covers all these things. So I, I just want to say this. These, these are three traps. They all start with the letter D. First of all, the trap of disobedience. That's exactly what David fell into. The trap of disobedience. He knew well better they shouldn't be doing this. He knew this wasn't the right thing to do. You know, temptations take place and Satan entices us with pride and says, do this or say this or count this or believe this and or pursue this or live presumptuously, just live selfishly and, and live fleshly and worldly or whatever it might be. And Satan comes along, just disobey God. Whatever it is that you know that's wrong to do, disobey him in that, in that place. This is Satan's way to snare people. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4. I say this is a devil's common trap. It's a common trap. Again, it doesn't matter, again, who it is and, and uh, where it's at, but you can find the common trap of the devil is to seek to entice people through disobeying him. It's exactly where it started in the garden. You know, that tree, don't worry about that tree. Uh, uh, that's no big deal. You, you can eat of that tree. The trap. And I'm not going to go back there, but look at, look at here, Luke chapter 4, with Jesus Christ, his temptations were centered around this trap, to disobey God. Let's look at this. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, was, in the, was, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, and being 40 days tempted of the devil... 
In those days he did eat nothing, and when he had ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said to him, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones that they be made bread. And Jesus answered him and said, It is written, The man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taketh him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give to thee in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I give it, thou wilt worship me, and all shall be thine. And Jesus answered, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give thee his angels charge uh, to, over thee to keep thee, in thy hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended the temptation, he departed for him for a season. Now Satan sets traps for everyone. Satan set, tried to set a trap for Jesus. As Jesus, and, and, and Jesus here again was tempted to disobey the word of God and do what's, what, what's contrary, contrary to God. Just like David was uh, tempted there to do what's contrary to the will and way of God. And, and we find again, day in, day out, Satan comes along and says, do this. And you say, what is it? Some, something that's totally contrary to what God would have us to do. Be prideful today. Be selfish today. Be angry today. Be unthankful today. Whatever it might be. Something just simply to disobey him. David was sent to, uh, uh, tempted to disobey. And Jesus was tempted to disobey. You know, it's in your power, Jesus, to take stones and turn them into bread in verse number 3. And then Jesus says, it's written that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, the, the devil tried to get us to disobey. The, the devil tried to distract us. The devil tried to get us to, to worship someone other than God. The devil, again, uh, tried to get us to tempt Jesus or tempt God in what we do, to test God whether uh, we can do this or not or whatever it might be. And and the devil will even come along and he'll try to send scriptures along to, to give us, again, maybe a, a reason for doing something. I think that's kind of interesting. Again, maybe, uh, again, there it says, if, the, if thou be thy son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in thy hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. It's interesting that the devil rests the scriptures. And sometimes I believe, again, the devil rests the scriptures and maybe you say, well, God led me to this scripture. And I'm not going to try to attack the scriptures. Don't get me wrong at all here at all. But you know, people go to the scripture sometimes and try to get an answer for what they're doing. You know, Satan did that too. He said, you know, here's some scriptures that says this is, this is what you can do. This is what you should do. You can cast yourself uh, down and the angels will take care of you. God takes care of you. And, 
and uh, someone says, well, what's wrong with that? That's, that's true, but can we cast ourselves down to tempt the Lord and the Lord's going to take care of us? Jesus seems to say differently. He says in verse number 12, he says, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It's not right to tempt the Lord thy God. You know, as we look at this example here of the Lord Jesus Christ being tempted to disobey, we see him tempted to disobey just like we're tempted to disobey. And again, we find again here him being tempted of the devil mentions there 40 days, verse number two. Let me just say this temptation sometimes will come in cycles and times where God will tempt us over and over again with maybe something that we could be tempted to fall trapped to. And we find again the temptation to disobey God. This is a snare set by Satan. It's snare set in different kinds of ways. It's set around us and it's very wide in its scope and it's again something that sometimes we fall trapped to and and anybody could be told maybe what to do even in the word of God and yet God says this and then maybe we can find a verse or we find a way to get around it or we just decide we're just going to do different and we simply disobey God. Disobedience is part of our character sadly to disobey. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. But I believe at times it's because this Satan or his demons or devil come along and try to entice us. Or someone comes along and tries to entice us. If sinners entice thee, the Bible says there in Proverbs, it says, consent thou not. If Satan entices you, consent not. Again, it's easy sometimes to fall trapped to Satan's, Satan's uh, snares that he's set. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Again, I could look at 1 Samuel chapter 14 also, but I just want to read a little bit in 1 Samuel 15. I mean, was David the only guy who fell trapped to knowing what's right to do and did wrong? No, that's not the only guy that fell trapped to it. I want to consider here quickly the example of Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, it says, And Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over Israel, uh, over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken uh, thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that thou did, uh, uh, which Amalek did in Israel, how he had laid wait for him in the way when he had come to Egypt. How, uh, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare not, uh, not, not but uh, slay man and, and uh, woman and infant, suckling ox, sheep and cattle, and, and Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in uh, Telamon, 300,000 footmen, 10,000 10, men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And, and Saul said unto the Kenites, Go depart, get you down from among the Malachites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye show kindness unto the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from them of the Malachites. And, and Saul smote the Malachites from Haviah until they came to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag the king, the Malachite alight, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and besides the sheep, and the oxen, and the fatlings, and the lambs, 
And all that was good, would not only destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused, they destroyed utterly. Again, I, I believe everyone here is probably familiar with this text, but it's, it's sad to see. Again, here's, here's the word of God. Again, I, I want to, again, emphasize this. It came from Samuel, but it says, hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Verse number one. What were the words of the Lord? Kill everything. You know, it's, it's not my decision what God would have us to do, but he says, kill everything. But what does a person say? You know, hey, I'm going to just spare the best. And so that's what happened here. Uh, everything that, all that was good, it says there in verse number, all that was good, they would not utterly destroy them, but, other, but everything that was vile and refused, they destroyed utterly. And uh, again, this was a, definitely a bad thing that happened in the life of Saul here. He just decided, I just, I'm just going to do what I think is best to do. And so he spares Agag, the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, the best of the fat leads, the best of the lands, and all that was good. Anything they could use, anything that was helpful or whatever they kept. What do you see here? You see man just like man today. You know, we, we, we sort through, here's the word of God, this is what God says, and then we say, you know what? I know God's word says this, but I'm just going to do something a little different. There's a temptation to do things differently. You know, Burger King says you can have it your way. And people like to have it their way. The word of God says this, and I, well, we want to have it, into, have it our way. So Satan sets a trap for us, and we want to have it our way. We know what the word of God says, but we want to have it our way. And again, you see what this passage of Scripture, that Saul defied the word of God. He did, he did partly what God would have him to do. He, had, he did partly what he wanted to do. In verse 10, it says, Then came the word of the Lord to Samuel, saying, I repent of thee, that I may set thee up to king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all the night. Well, let, Notice verse 13, it says, And Samuel came to Saul, and, and Saul said unto, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said, what meaneth this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and slowing the oxen I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them out from the Malachites and the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice the Lord and, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. You know, in his mind, he had done, done well. Verse 13, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. You know, sometimes even in areas of disobedience, we disobey God and yet we come along and said, I've you know, I'm doing, I'm doing the will of God. And yet you find out he wasn't. His response, I was doing the will of God. And, and Sam pointed out, you're not doing the will of God. And this was a snare to him. In verse 17, I'm just going to skip here a little bit. And Samuel said, when thou was little, and I know not, I own sight, was thou made head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed thee to be king over Israel. The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Malachites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, 
but didn't fly upon the spoil and didn't evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and brought Agag, the king of Amalekites, saying, Have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the chief of the things which have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken to the blood, to the fat of lambs. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath rejected thee from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the Lord God, like the, the, the command of the Lord that God, and thy words, and because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again to me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said, Saul, I will not return to thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. You know, we don't look sometimes as disobedient, maybe as rough and tough as we see in this text. Certainly, I don't sometimes. You know, when we disobey God, what do we, what do we look at that as? Well, maybe a slip up, a stumbling, or whatever it might be. But here we see again, it, it mentions there, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Saul's partial obedience was like witchcraft. It was not good wasn't good at all. And, he, and it says there in verse number uh, 26, it says, And Samuel said unto him, I will not turn unto thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Someone says, he didn't completely reject the word of God. I understand that. But he rejected what God would have him to do. The devil will seek to get us to do things like partially obey God instead of fully obey God. Partially do what God would have us to do. You know, we, we pride ourselves in partial obedience. And, and, and we look at Saul and we say, I just can't believe that king would come along. He was told what to do and he didn't do what he's supposed to do. But yet, I wonder how many times we come along and we're told something to do and we say, no, I'm not going to do it. And, and the devil says, yeah, that's all right. You can do something different. You can do it just a little bit different. There's a sin and snare of disobedience. And that certainly is, again, is common as far as the snare of the devil. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm just going to mention Numbers chapter 11. The sin of sin or snare of discontentment. This is something that Satan will set before us. Again, we, we are in a place that we are most blessed as a people and I say that in a sense of if you're talking monetary things, I mean, especially here in America, we are, we are most blessed as a people, and yet we are many times discontent, me included. And, and Satan sets this snare before this, this thing of discontentment. I just want to read about contentment here, and then we'll just talk a little bit about discontentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, not, uh, but that now at the last of your care that's flourished again, wherein ye also were careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I, respect, I speak in respect of want, but I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
For I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Again, we, we see in this text, I, I, I think it's important for us to look at verse 12 again. I want to read it again. I know about how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then it says in verse 11, I have learned whatsoever state I am to be content. So let me ask you this. When it comes to contentment, it mentions there to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Are we content? The Bible commands that we be content. But Satan sets a snare often that says, don't be content. Uh, Don't be content. You deserve better. Don't be content. You, You deserve more. Don't be content. You deserve praise. Don't be content. You could do a lot better than this. You deserve better than this. And so the saying they'll send, send along, you know, this, this is what you can, what you need, and this is what you can have, and this is what's available. And he encourages us not to be content. Paul says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It's something we must learn to live with, both suffering, need, and having much, abounding and, and being hungry and both full. Be content with such things you, you have. It says there in Hebrews chapter 13, the, the devil comes along and says, you know, you need a different this. You need a different that. This isn't good enough. And this would be better for you. And uh, we say, how content should we be? Well, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6. Paul said he learned to be content. He learned to be content with much. He learned to be content with little. He went to the place where he actually was in a place where he was hungry. He didn't have food. And uh, someone says, you know, how content should we be? Well, here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number uh, 8 through verse number 10, I think that helps us again understand uh, how content we should be or where should we be content. It says in verse 8, it says in having food, and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts that drown men in perdition and destruction. Uh, and, and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil, which some coveted after that have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So what is a temptation and a snare to us? To be rich. Verse 8. To have much. It says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And so we can be running after riches. We can love money. And it mentions there in verse number 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, while which some coveted after they have erred from the faith. And so what can what does Satan set before us? Here's some money. Here's, here's an opportunity. Here's Here's some riches, here's some wealth, here's some gain, here's some power, here's some prestige, whatever it might be. And so he sets things before us to make us discontent. Proverbs 15, verse 27 says, He that is greedy and bring trouble to his own house. And we certainly can get in trouble with covetousness. And so he lays trap before us discontentment or 
covetousness. And then let's turn here to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. And I just want to mention this one in closing. I, I believe, again, it's a common trap that Satan sets before us. Uh, the snare, first of all, of disobedience. The snare of uh, discontentment. And then finally here, Proverbs uh, chapter 22 and verse number 7. The, the, the third snare, this common snare, is the snare of debt. Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 7. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the bower is servant to the lender. And the, bio, the, the bower is servant to the lender. You know, the, the word servant is, is, is the same word as slave. The bower is slave to the lender. The bower is servant to the lender. These are two and the same. Again, the snare of debt. Someone says, I can make the payment. And Satan says to them, yeah, you can make the payment. You know, you should be buying this instead of that. But is, is it smart to be in debt? I don't think it's very wise to be in debt. And if you're in debt, understand this. And it says there, verse 7, the bow is servant to the lender. So you, you have a debt to the lender. Again, I, I don't know, again, how, how much we should seek to be in positions where we're slave to banks and bankers or bowers or whoever it might be because we're a servant to them. And so if that servant says, hey, you've got to do this to pay the debt, you need to do this. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. Again, I just want to look at this and then we're going to we'll be done here this morning. 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Again, when it comes to, again, snares that Satan sets for, especially, I believe, in, in many ways, Americans, maybe it's for all people, but uh, to get into debt is a trap, a debt trap. It could be a stumbling block, it could be a stumbling stone, it could be a snare. It could be something that ties you down, it can be something that ties you up. It can be something that, again, causes rifts in marriages, it causes rifts in in, in, in life, it can be a, a terrible trap that we could fall into and we're snared by this, this, this thing of death. Satan sets it before us, sets it before us that we should try to get into debt. Second Kings chapter four, verse number one, it says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of prophets unto Elijah, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons, and again, you probably know the story here, but we find, again, uh, her being able to retire the debt through a, a pot of oil. But uh, I want you to notice those words. It says, The creditors come to take unto me my two sons to be bondmen. You know, in the Old Testament, they didn't mess when it comes to debt. I mean, if you owed a debt and you didn't pay it, your, your, your children or yourself, you could be in a position you're going to be a slave, a true slave to the lender. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Because maybe they got behind on the bills. We have no idea what happened here. But look at verse 7. It says, Then, came, then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay the debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. And so she was helped out of her debt, but she certainly was in trouble for a time because of her debt. The snare of debt, it can be a trap to any one of us. 
In the old days, if you lacked again funds, they'd just pick out someone in your family and you'd have to indenture that family member to pay for a debt. The snares of Satan, the snare of disobedience and pride. Again, we see that in David's life. We see the snare, secondly, of dis- discontentment where, uh, again, Saul wanted more and wasn't satisfied with doing what God would have him to do. And there's a snare of debt. And that can be a snare to the snow, the soul. Again, Psalm 141 says, keep me from the snares. Keep me from the snares. I encourage you again to stay clear of the snares and get out of the snares if you're in them.